0: Chapter Twenty Four, Part One of the Children of the Abbey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Children of the Abbey by Regina Maria Roche. Chapter Twenty Four, Part One A song, a flower, and name at once restore those long connected scenes when first they moved the attention. Aikenside. The dejection of Amanda gradually declined, as the idea of seeing Lord Mortimer again revived. It revived not, however, without hopes, fears, and agitations. Sometimes she imagined she should find him devoted to Lady Euphrasia, then again believed his honour and sincerity would not allow him to give her up so suddenly, and that this apparent indifference proceeded from resentment, which would vanish if an opportunity once offered, and she trusted there would, for explaining her conduct she endeavoured to calm the emotions these ideas gave rise to by reflecting that a short time now would most probably terminate her suspense they stopped for the night about five o'clock at an inn about a mile from tudor hall after dinner amanda informed lady greystock she wished to accompany ellen to her parents to this her ladyship made no objection on finding she did not want the carriage she charged her however not to forget the hour of tea by which time she would be refreshed by a nap and ready to engage her in a game of picket They set out unattended, as Ellen refused the ostler's offer of carrying her portmanteau, saying she would send for it the next day. This she did by Amanda's desire, who wished, unobserved, to pursue a walk, in which she promised herself a melancholy indulgence from reviewing the well-known scenes endeared by tender recollections. A mournful, yet not undelightful, sensation attends the contemplation of scenes where we once enjoyed felicity. Departed joys are ever remembered with an enthusiasm of tenderness which soothes the sorrow we experience for their loss such were the present feelings of amanda while ellen undisturbed by regrets for the past pointed out with pleasure the dwellings of her intimates and friends yet when she came to chip's deserted cottage she stopped and a tear stole from her eye accompanied at the same time by a smile which seemed to say Though thou art now lonely and cheerless, the period is approaching when comfort and gaiety shall resume their stations within thee, when the blaze of thy fire and thy taper shall not only diffuse cheerfulness within but without, and give a ray to the desolate or benighted traveller, to guide him to thy hospitable shelter. Amanda, leaning on Ellen's arm, proceeded slowly in her walk. The evening was delightful. The blue vault of heaven was spangled with stars, and the air, without being severely cold, was clear and refreshing their road on one side was skirted with the high woods of tudor hall amanda gazed on them with emotion but when she came to the gate which lord mortimer had opened for her departure to their first interview the softness of her heart could no longer be resisted she stopped leaning pensively upon it and wept the evergreens with which the woods abounded prevented their wearing a desolate appearance she wished to have pierced into their most sequestered gloom but she had no time to indulge this wish nor did she indeed believe her companion who is tinctured to superstitious fears would have accompanied her when the glow of vegetation again revives said she to herself when the blossoms and the flowers again spread their spangled foliage to the sun and every shade resounds with harmony where alas will amanda be far distant in all probability from these delightful scenes perhaps neglected and forgotten by their master the awful murmurs of the wind rustling through the trees joined to the solemn sound of a neighbouring waterfall began to excite fears in ellen's breast she laid her trembling hand on amanda and besought her for the love of cot to hasten to the cottage the road still wound round the wood and lights from a small village which lay on its borders cast various shadows upon the trees whilst the hum of distant voices floated upon the gale and fancy pictured joyous groups of rustics assembling round their fires to enjoy refreshment after the labours of the day peaceful people said amanda when the wants of nature are satisfied no care or trouble obtrudes upon your minds tired but not exhausted when the toils of the day with repairing the bosom of the earth for the ethereal mildness of the spring you seek and enjoy a calm repose in the lane which led to her nurse's cottage amanda paused for a moment down this lane lord mortimer had once pursued her she looked towards the mansion of tudor hall she endeavored to discern the library but all was dark and dismal except the wing which ellen informed her was occupied by the domestics through the window of Edwin's cottage, they saw all the family seated round a blazing fire, chatting and laughing. The transports of Ellen's heart overcame every idea of caution. She hastily unlatched the door and flung herself into her parents' arms. Their surprise and joy was unbounded, and Amanda was received and welcomed with as much tenderness as their child, without ever asking the reason of her sudden appearance. The first question was, would she not stay with them? And her answer filled them with regret and disappointment. Perceiving them about procuring her refreshments, she declared she had not a minute to stay. The time allotted for her walk was already exceeded, and she feared Lady Greystock would be offended at being left so long at an inn by herself. She therefore hastily presented some of the little presents she had brought for the family, and was bidding them farewell, when poor Ellen, who, from so long residing with her young lady, almost adored her, suddenly flung herself into her arms, and clinging round her neck as if to prevent a separation which, to the moment of its arrival she thought she could have supported, exclaimed, "'Oh, my dear young lady, we are going to part, and my heart sinks within me at the idea.' even chip himself if he was here could not console me i know you are not happy and that increases my sorrow your sweet cheek is pale and i have often seen you cry when you thought no party was minding you if you who are so good are not happy how can a peing like me hope to be so oh may i soon be plessed with seeing you return the mistress of tudor hall married to the sweetest handsomest of noblemen who i know in my soul loves you as well indeed he may for where would he see the fellow of my young lady then chip and i will be so happy for i am sure you and my lord will shelter our humble cottage amanda pressed the affectionate girl to her breast and mingled tears with hers while she softly whispered to her not to hint at such an event but be assured my dearest ellen continued she that i shall ever rejoice at your felicity which to the utmost of my power i would promote and hope soon to hear of your union with chip a tay said her nurse are you going away when i thought you come to stay among us and then perhaps my lord would have come, and then there would have been such a happy meeting. Why, I verily thought he would have gone distracted when he found you, as one may say, run away, and to be sure I did pity him, and should have made no scruple to tell him where you were, had I known it myself, which he suspected, for he offered me a sight of money if I would discover. Then there is Parson Howell. Why has he been like unto nothing but a ghost, since you went away, and he does sigh, and he comes almost every day to ask about you, and whether I think or know Lord Mortimer is with you? He will pee in such grief to think you were here without his seeing you. Well, said Amanda, endeavouring to appear cheerful, we may all yet have a happy meeting. She then repeated her farewell, and, leaning on the arm of old Edwin, returned to the inn, where she again bid him adieu, and, hastening to her ladyship, found her just awakening from a comfortable slumber. They drank tea, and, after playing for about an hour at picket, retired to rest amanda who enjoyed but little repose rose early in the morning and finding her ladyship not quite ready went down to the court to walk about till she was where to her great surprise the first object she perceived was howell leaning pensively against a gate opposite the house he flew over and catching her hand exclaimed you are surprised but i trust not displeased i could not resist such an opportunity of seeing you once more after all i have suffered from your precipitate journey and the probability of never more beholding you I have been watching here, in expectation of this happiness, since the first dawn of day." "'I am sorry,' said Amanda, gravely, your time was so ill-employed. "'How coldly you speak!' cried he. "'Ah! Could you read my heart? You would see so little presumption in it, that you would, I am confident, pity, though you could not relieve its feelings. Every spot you loved to frequent I have haunted since your departure. Your mother's grave has often been the scene of pensive meditation nor has it wanted its vernal offering the loveliest flowers of my garden i have wove into wreaths and hung them over it in fond remembrance of her angel daughter the plaintive sound of howell's voice the dejection of his countenance excited the softest feelings of sensibility in amanda's bosom but she grew confused by the tenderness of his expression and saying she was happy to see him tried to disengage her hand that she might retire surely exclaimed he still detaining it for a few moments you might grant me without reluctance you who are going to enjoy every happiness and pleasure going to meet the favoured Amanda anticipated the name he was about uttering, and her confusion redoubled. She attempted, again, yet in vain, to withdraw her hand, and turned to see whether any one was observing them. How great was her mortification on perceiving Lady Greystock leaning from a window exactly over their heads! She smiled significantly at Amanda on being seen, and, the carriage being ready, said, she would attend her below stairs. Howell never relinquished Amanda's hand. He saw she looked displeased, and expressed such sorrow, accompanied with such submissive apologies for offending her, that she could not avoid according him her pardon. He handed both her and Lady Greystock into the carriage, and looked a melancholy adieu as it drove off. "'Upon my word, a pretty smart young fellow,' said Lady Greystock. "'Though impatient at this time to set out, I could not think of interrupting the interesting tete-a-tete I saw between you and him. I suppose you have been a resident in this part of the country before, from your seeming to know this tender swain so well.' Amanda wished to avoid acknowledging this. If known, she feared it would lead to a discovery or at least excite a suspicion of her intimacy with Lord Mortimer, which she was desirous of concealing while in this uncertainty concerning him. "'Your ladyship has heard, I believe,' replied she, "'that Ellen's mother nursed me?' "'Yes, my dear,' answered her ladyship with some smartness. "'But if your acquaintance even commenced with this youth in infancy, I fancy it has been renewed since that period.' Amanda blushed deeply, and, to hide her confusion, pretended to be looking at the prospect from the window. Lady Greystock's eyes pursued hers.' Tudor Hall was conspicuous from the road, and Amanda involuntarily sighed as she viewed it. "'That is a fine domain,' said Lady Greystock. "'I presume you have visited it, and know its owner?' Amanda could not assert a falsehood, neither could she evade the inquiries of Lady Greystock, and therefore not only confessed its being the estate of Lord Mortimer, but her own residence near it the preceding summer. Her ladyship immediately conjectured it was then the attachment between her and Lord Mortimer had commenced, and the blushes, the hesitation, and the unwillingness of Amanda in owning her visit to Wales all confirmed this conjecture.' She tried, however, to insinuate herself into her full confidence, by warm expressions of esteem, and by hinting that from the disposition of Lord Mortimer she could not believe he ever did, or ever would, think seriously of Lady Euphrasia. This, she hoped, would either induce or betray Amanda to open her whole heart, but she was disappointed. She flattered herself, however, with thinking she had discovered enough to satisfy the Marchioness if she, as Lady Greystock feared she would, expressed any disapprobation of seeing Amanda her companion. She intended saying that Fitzlin had absolutely forced her under her protection. They arrived late in the evening of the third day at Pall Mall, where her ladyship's agent had previously taken lodgings for them. Lady Greystock, though immersed in business against the approaching trial, neglected no means of amusement, and, the day after her arrival, sent a card of inquiry to the Roslyn family as the most eligible mode of informing them of it. The next morning, as she expected, she received a visit from them. Amanda was sitting in the window when the carriage drove up to the door she instantly arose and left the room determined neither to expose herself to their impertinence or appear solicitous by their notice by staying in the company uninvited lady greystock soon informed them of amanda's having accompanied her to london and they as she expected expressed both surprise and displeasure at it as she had settled in her own mind she therefore told them that fitzlin had urged her to take his daughter under her care with entreaties she could not resist entreaties she added with a significant look she believed he had good reason for making she then related all she suspected, or rather had discovered, relative to the attachment between Lord Mortimer and Amanda having commenced the preceding summer in Wales. The Marchioness and Lady Euphrasia instantly concluded she was sent to London for the purpose of having it completed by a marriage. This, however, they determined to prevent. The Marchioness felt the most inveterate hatred against her, and also that, to prevent her being advantageously settled, even if that settlement threatened not to interfere with the one she had projected for her daughter, she could undertake almost any project, though she abhorred the idea of noticing her yet she was tempted now to do so from the idea that it would better enable her to watch her actions this idea she communicated in a hasty whisper to lady euphrasia who approving it she told lady greystock as miss Fitzalan was her guest she would on that account permit her to be introduced to them amanda was accordingly sent for on entering the room lady greystock took her hand and presented her to the marchioness and lady euphrasia the former half rising with a coldness she could not conquer said whenever lady greystock honoured her with a visit she should be happy to see miss Fitzalan along with her the latter only noticed her by a slight bow and when amanda drew a chair near the sofa on which she sat or rather reclined she continued staring in her face and alternatively humming an italian air and caressing a little dog she had brought with her the unembarrassed elegance of amanda's air and manner surprised and mortified them as they expected to have seen her covered with confusion at an introduction so unexpected To their haughty souls nothing was more delightful than the awe and deference which vulgar and illiberal minds are so apt to pay to rank and fortune. They were provoked to see, in Amanda, conscious dignity instead of trembling diffidence. As she sat by Lady Euphrasia, the Marchioness could not help secretly confessing she was a dangerous rival to her daughter, for never did her lovely features and ingenious countenance appear to such advantage as would contrast it to Lady Euphrasia's. The Marchioness withdrew soon after her entrance, unable longer to restrain the malignant passions which envy had excited. Both she and Lady Euphrasia were convinced that to communicate their suspicions at present to Lord Cherbury about her and his son would not answer the end proposed, for it could be of little consequence, they reflected, to withdraw the esteem of the father, if that of the son continued who, independent in his notions and certain of the fortunes of his ancestors, might not hesitate to gratify himself. The point, therefore, was, by some deep laid scheme, to ruin Amanda in the estimation of Lord Mortimer, and, if the power of mortals to contrive and execute such a scheme, they gave themselves credit for being able to effect it the blow at her fond hopes they resolved should be followed by one against the peace of fitzlin on whom they knew whenever they pleased they could draw the resentment of lord cherbury thus should they completely triumph over the lovely amanda plunge two beings they detested into poverty and wretchedness destroy expectations which interfered with their own and secure an alliance with a man they had long wished united to their family from the unaltered indifference of lord mortimer to lady euphrasia they were convinced of his predilection for another flattering themselves that nothing but a prior attachment could have rendered him insensible to the attractions of her ladyship to render the object of this attachment contemptible in his sight they believed would produce the transfer of affections they so long desired the haughty soul of lady euphrasia would never have permitted her to think of accepting lord mortimer after his neglect of her but by the opportunity she should have by such an acceptance of triumphing over amanda from this idea she entered warmly into all her mother's plans lord Cherbury had never yet spoken explicitly to his son concerning the union he had projected for him he often indeed dropped hints about it which he always found either neglected or purposefully misunderstood and from these circumstances was pretty sensible of the disinclination lord mortimer felt to his wishes he knew he entertained high notions of the independence which a rational mind has a right to maintain and that in an affair of such consequence as mortimer frequently said he considered a matrimonial connection to be he would neither be controlled by the opinion of others or merely allured by the advantages of fortune to avoid a disagreeable argument with a son he not only loved, but respected, he sought rather by indirect means to involve him in an entanglement with the Roslyn family, than come to an open explanation with him. For this purpose he contrived parties as often as possible with them in public, where, by Lord Mortimer's being seen with Lady Euphrasia, reports might be raised of an intended alliance between them, reports which he himself propagated among some particular friends, with a desire of having them circulated, but an injunction of secrecy as to their author. These reports would, he trusted, on reaching Lord Mortimer, lead to a discussion of the affair, and then, he meant to say, as Lord Mortimer had partly contributed to raise them himself by his attendance on Lady Euphrasia, he could not possibly with honour recede from realising them. Yet often did his lordship fear his scheme would prove abortive, for he well knew the cool judgment and keen penetration of his son. This fear always inspired him with horror, for he had a motive for desiring the union which he durst not avow. Lord Mortimer quickly indeed discerned what his father's views were in promoting his attendance on Lady Euphrasia he therefore avoided her society whenever it was possible to do so without absolute rudeness and contradicted the reports he almost continually heard of an intended alliance between them in the most solemn manner he had always disliked her but latterly that dislike was converted into hatred from the malevolence of her conduct towards amanda and he felt that even were his heart free he could never devote it to her or give his hand where it must be accompanied by esteem he wished to avoid a disagreeable conversation with Lord Turbury, and flattered himself his unaltered indifference to her ladyship would at length convince his lordship of the impossibility of accomplishing his projected scheme, and that consequently it would be dropped ere openly avowed, and he saved the painful necessity of absolutely rejecting a proposal of his father's. End of chapter twenty four, part one.